Thank you, Sue. We're in Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 to 21. We're going to be talking about wandering while wandering. Just say that a couple of times fast or maybe slow. Wandering while wandering. There you go. (laughs) He's got it. I should have him come up (laughs) and say. Anyhow, as we think about that today, Genesis chapter 21, I want to read this illustration to begin. I did not want to go to prayer service that evening. I wanted to stay home and make a dish of candied fruit from a new recipe. But the recipe called for three oranges, and I had none. Reluctantly, I decided to go to church, thinking that if I got the oranges that night, I could make the dish first thing in the morning. As I drove through the city uh, to church, I stopped at every corner store along the way, looking for oranges. Unfortunately, all all the stores I passed were out. I arrived at church feeling disappointment, but determined to keep my mind on the service until the end. As I was leaving, a teenage boy asked for a ride home, and I agreed to take him. When we pulled into the public housing project where he lived, my headlights landed on a loaded pickup truck. As we drew in closer, I shrieked, Oranges! There, spotlighted by the street lamp, stood a truckload of oranges, boxes and boxes of large, beautiful oranges. Where's the driver, I asked aloud. Here he comes now, uh, replied the teenager. Reaching hurriedly in my purse and finding one dollar, I gave it to the teen and told him to ask the man if I could buy three oranges. He jumped out as I craned my head out the window, trying to see around the truck. I was still holding my breath when the boy came around the truck with as many oranges in his arms as he could carry. He didn't have any bags, called the boy. Awed and overjoyed, I took the fruit, returning uh, several to the grateful teenager. That night I made my candied fruit, knowing I had put God first and he had met my needs. We're going to see that today. Like God just meets our needs. He provides for us even while we're wandering sometimes. And maybe while we're wandering, while we're wandering, what's going on, God? I know we were living in Florida at the time, and we were expecting our first child, and we decided to live off my income only and have Judy's income uh, put into savings. And we knew that after the school year was over and our baby was born that we were going to be moving back to Ohio from Florida. And so God was preparing us ahead of time for this transition. The savings that we accumulated was just what we needed uh, to survive until I started serving with Child Evangelism Fellowship. And it took us a little bit of time to raise our, our personal finances with CEF. And so God had provided this savings that we had set aside for just the right time. And so he had provided for us while we were wandering, you know, going from Florida all the way back up to Ohio. He did the same thing when we, when we moved from California. We put everything into a storage unit and started back across the country, not knowing where we would finally settle down. We didn't know it would be Pennsylvania. We spent time with Judy's parents in Florida and my parents in in Alabama. Spent a couple of weeks with with her parents in Florida, about a month with my parents in Alabama. We spent time with Judy's grandma in Ohio. And eventually God called us to serve Idaville UB Church here in Pennsylvania. God had provided the income we needed while we wandered across the country. He provided places for us to stay. We knew that he was with us while we were wondering what the next step would be. Where were we supposed to be? And so perhaps each person here today understands what it's like to wander while we wander. My guess is that we have all seen God provide during a transition, perhaps in incredible ways. Maybe he prepared us ahead of time or provided throughout the transition just what we needed right when we needed it. The great thing is that he was with 
us the whole time. Did you experience that? God is with us during the whole thing. Well, as we look into this passage today in Genesis chapter 21, family tensions came to a head at a feast Abraham had held in Isaac's honor. The result caused Hagar and Ishmael to wander through the desert with minimal supplies. God was with them through their wanderings, and he provided for them as they wandered what was going to happen to them. And through this important narrative today, we're going to learn our big idea that God is with us even in our wanderings. So as you just contemplate that big idea today, would you bow your heads with me as we just commit it to the Lord in prayer? Oh God Almighty, we just come before you today as cracked and chipped vessels, Lord God, as weak human beings that need the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we come to you today and we just beg for humility, that you would open our hearts and minds to the message that you have for us today, Lord. We pray, Lord God, that any transformation that needs to take place, that you would accomplish that through the Holy Spirit. Any encouragement that needs to take place today, that you would accomplish that through the Holy Spirit. Lord, any uh, conviction that needs to take place today, would you do that through the Holy Spirit? And Lord God, I pray that you would bring healing that needs to take place. And we just commit it to you now. We ask this all in your precious son's name. Amen. Well, when Mark and I were talking about this, I said, Mark, I have all kinds of alliteration in this message today. And he said, keep it coming, keep it coming. So um, our main points all start with the letter D, and uh, you'll see that. And then some of the subpoints are all start with some of the same letters. But anyhow, it's kind of fun to do that. I enjoy that. But we're going to look at this uh, first point, deride, verses 8 to 10. So would you look at God's word with me, if you would? This is what his word says. The child grew and was weaned, and on the, the, on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And so we see Sarah kind of deriding um, uh, Hagar and Ishmael. But what we see first is that Isaac is weaned. Approxi- this is approximately three years have passed from verse 7 in chapter 21 to verse 8. Look at verse 7. It says there um, these words. I gotta find, oh, and, and she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So we know from verse 7 or 1 to 7 that Isaac was born. And so from verse 7 to verse 8, like two to three years have passed. Uh, that's that's a, a lot of time for just uh, that, that amount of space in the Bible, right? <laughs> just like three years, boom, gone. Golden Gate says, In traditional societies, mothers nurse children for longer than is customary in the West. In 2 Maccabees 7.27, a mother refers to having nursed her son for three years. So that's not normal in our society, in our day and age. Um, I think most mothers nurse their children probably for about a year, maybe a little over a year. Hannah waited until Samuel was weaned before taking him to the temple to serve for the rest of his life. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. So he was probably, again, about three years old. Gomer, the, uh, the wife of Hosea, waited until Lo-Ruhamah was weaned before having another son. So again, uh, before the second child was born, uh, you know, Lo-Ruhamah 
was three years old, perhaps. Now, we're not told if Abraham held a great feast for Ishmael when he was weaned, but in the ancient Near East, it was something to celebrate when a child made it to the age of three because the infant mortality rate was so high. Like, children didn't live very long. Uh, and if they did, that was something to really celebrate. And so here they're throwing this great feast, and we see that Abraham prepares this great feast to celebrate Isaac turning three and moving on from milk to solid food. And even though Sarah was no longer barren, it appears as though there was still tension between her and Hagar. Golden Gate highlights the fact that family gatherings have the ability to bring to the surface underlying issues that are not resolved, but are festering. How many of us can relate to that reality? Perhaps yesterday brought out some things to light in your own family. Maybe there was tension during the family Christmas gathering. Some of us were probably not looking forward to even getting together with our families because we knew there would be tension. But can I encourage you today to forgive your family members whether or not they ask for forgiveness? God doesn't, God doesn't say you, you can forgive only when they ask for forgiveness. No. He says, you're just supposed to forgive. I know for me personally, it wasn't in a family situation, but it was in another situation. I had to do that just for my own mental health. I just had to say to the Lord, Lord, I forgive this person, whether or not they ever come back and ask for forgiveness. And years later, when they came back and genuinely apologized and asked for forgiveness, I was simply able to say, I forgave you a long time ago. And then God restored that relationship. See, God doesn't require us to forgive only when asked for forgiveness. He requires us to forgive whether or not forgiveness is asked for. And so I want to encourage you to do that today. Just tell the Lord, even right now, in the quietness of your heart, that you forgive that individual or individuals. Don't end 2021 and begin 2022 with a rift between you and another family member. Ask the Lord to for, forgive them. Forgive them yourself. So Isaac has been weaned, and the family is having a party for him, but Sarah is worried. That's our second subpoint. Weaned and then worried. Sarah was actually, or I should say, acutely aware that Ishmael was actually Abraham's firstborn son. She understood what that meant in the culture of the day. And because of the miraculous nature of Isaac's birth, uh, Sarah's probably realizing and guessing that she's not going to have any more children. She was already 90 years old when she had eyes, and she's like, this is, I'm probably not having any more kids. So she's, imagine how protective she probably was of Isaac. She wasn't going to let anything happen to him physically, and she would not tolerate others mistreating him verbally. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty protective of my own children. When somebody says something negative about them or tries to hurt them physically, boy, I step right in. I don't want that to happen even though they're, they're grown up, I still am protective. During the celebration for Isaac, Sarah noticed that Ishmael was mocking Isaac. The Hebrew uh, root word for mocking means to laugh. And some people believe that Ishmael was just laughing together with Isaac. They were having a, a good old time just playing around together. But it would seem that Sarah would uh, not react the way she does if they were simply playing together. And the Apostle Paul perhaps helps us to understand the seriousness of what Ishmael is doing. We see him referencing this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 29. This is what it says. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way, that would be Ishmael, persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. 
Persecuted sounds like a little bit stronger word than just laughing together, right? It's like he was mocking him. He was making fun of him. He was saying things that were negative and derogatory, perhaps, about Isaac. And in the peel form of the verb, it means to laugh in bad taste with the intent to verbally harm. And perhaps Ishmael is using Isaac's name in a way that's making others laugh at him or to ridicule him. In Kyle and Dillich's uh, commentary, they quote um, Hengstenberg. Isaac, the object of holy laughter, was made the butt of unholy wit or profane sport. He, Ishmael, did not laugh, but he made fun. The little helpless Isaac, a father of nations. Unbelief, envy, pride, or carnal superiority were the causes of his conduct. Because he did not understand the sentiment is anything too wonderful for the Lord. It seemed to him absurd to think so great a thing to one so small. It's like Ishmael's like, he's going to be the father of great nations. That's ridiculous. That can't happen. There's no way. And he just wasn't understanding that there wasn't, there's nothing that's impossible for the Lord. As a protective mother and the first wife of Abraham, Sarah would not stand for this. She demands that Abraham get rid of that slave woman and her son. She won't even use their names. She wants them driven out. This isn't just a friendly request or a suggestion. Matthews in his commentary says, her entreaty is strongly worded, get rid, so the Hebrew word describes the evictions of Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, from the Garden of Eden, and Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 14, when he was told to head east, the removal of Moses by Pharaoh, as we see in Exodus 10, 11, and the disposition of Canaan's population out of the promised land. Like, all these things are taking place. I mean, this is how strong this word is. It's like, when God says to the Israelites, you're supposed to go in and possess the land, you're supposed to, like, wipe everybody else out. <laughs> Drive them out. Like, get rid of them. It's not just this suggestion. It's very strongly worded. And so this verb, again, in the peel form, means to throw out, drive out, get rid of. And the same verb in the qua form means divorce. Wow. That's pretty significant, too. We'll see that in just a moment. Sarah does not want anyone to be in competition for Abraham's inheritance, his estate. She wants Isaac to be the only heir. And according to the legal practices of that time, she, Sarah, had no genuine cause for worry as Gangle and Bramer point out. The newsy documents imply that just as the inheritance rights of a son born to a man and his servant girl take precedence over the rights of an adopted son, so also do the inheritance rights of a son born to a man and his wife take precedence over those of a servant girl's son. So to summarize the matter, they say, in the context of Abraham's family, just as Ishmael's rights superseded those of Eleazar, now remember, um, Abraham was like, I don't have an heir. I'm just going to give the inheritance to my servant, Eleazar. So just as Ishmael, when he was born, superseded Eleazar, so also Isaac's rights would supersede those of Ishmael when he was born. So Sarah didn't really have anything to worry about, but she was still worried. It's that, that's something that happens in our humanness, right? Something that we don't need to worry about, we still worry about. And so the demand from Sarah concerning Hagar and Ishmael is distressing for Abraham. We see that in verses 11 to 13. Look at those verses with me, if you would. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. 
But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. So our second point today is distressed. And, and Abraham is concerned. He's emotionally attached to Ishmael. How can he not be? Uh, Ishmael was his only child for about 11 to 12 years. He had formed incredible bonds with his son. And in fact, we see time and time again, uh, as we've seen in previous chapters, like Abraham's like, God, are you sure that you can't, like, you sure that the covenant can't come through Ishmael? You sure that you can't use him? And God's like, nope, it's coming from you and a son coming from you and Sarah. He, that, that son's not here yet. And so he has this incredible bond with this boy. Sarah is demanding that Abraham cut all ties with Hagar and Ishmael, and there's a high probability that Abraham will never see Ishmael again. And so he's distressed. The Hebrew word can also be translated as displeased, very, very wrong, or, or grievous. And the word translated grievous means to shake violently like curtains blowing in the wind. That's what Warren Wearsby says. So like, poor, poor Abraham, he's like, you're asking me to send my son away and his mother. And so he's like just violently shaking as he's thinking about having to do this. He's physically upset, but the Lord comforts him in this distress. God tells him not to be distressed about Hagar and Ishmael. He tells Abraham to listen to what Sarah is telling him. And perhaps Abraham is struggling to understand why the covenant cannot come through Ishmael. The Lord again reaffirms the fact that Abraham's offspring will be reckoned through Isaac. And we see the sovereignty of God here. That's our first principle today. God has determined that Isaac is the one through whom fulfillment will come, through whom Abraham's offspring will be named. His genealogical line is the one that will count. And Hamilton, that was Golden Gate. Hamilton says this, Ishmael will not share in the inheritance with Isaac, but that is not because of Sarah's pettiness or jealousy or skullduggery. That was a word, I'm not even sure what that means, skullduggery, but... It's because God has decreed that Abraham's line of promise will be continued through Isaac. Here in an instance of God here is an instance of God using the wrath of a human being to accomplish his purposes. So it's like it really had nothing to do with Sarah, but God is using what is going on in that in that tension in that family in order to get to, to accomplish his purposes and his plans. God in his sovereignty chose several second-born children to fulfill his purposes and continue the line to Jesus. One commentary I was reading said, you know, firstborn children in, in the Bible, you know, kind of get, you know, they don't get a lot of, a lot of help. They're kind of put off to the side. And, and so the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. The Lord chose Jacob over Esau in Genesis 27, 27 to 29. The Lord chose Ephraim over Manasseh in Genesis chapter 48, verse 14. That's, that's Joseph's two boys. <clears throat> And if you remember the story, he brings him to his father. And his father says, you know, they're going to be reckoned with me. They're going to be part of my family. And then, uh, you know, Joseph was very uh, meticulous about the way that he presented his boys to his father so that his father's right hand would fall on, on Manasseh, the older. And then what does his father do? When he goes to bless him, he goes, <laughs> and he switches his hands, right? He crosses his arms over, and he blesses Ephraim. And Joseph's like, no, 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 no. That, you, no. And, and his father said, nope, that I did what I did. That's right. So these poor firstborn children, you know, they don't get a lot of, uh, they get marginalized a little bit. 
Even when we do not understand God's plan, we can trust in his sovereignty to accomplish his purposes. Aren't you glad for that? And that just leads us to our second principle today out of Baldwin's commentary. The Lord has a word for us even in our severest dilemmas. Abraham didn't want to hear this from Sarah, and yet God was using her to accomplish his purposes. He had a word for Abraham that Abraham obviously needed to hear. And so the Lord can speak to us in various ways as well. He can speak to us through prayer, through his word, through a sermon, through other believers. He can even talk to us through unbelievers. He can speak to us through difficult circumstances, which is what Abraham experienced. Abraham had to be attentive to what the Lord was saying. Perhaps someone here today is going through a difficult situation. Is the Lord speaking to you through someone else? What is he saying? And what he is saying may not be what you want to hear, but God is sovereign. It may cause you to shake violently when you think about what you have to do or what has to be done. Are you willing to be obedient to what the Lord is saying today? So many times I hear people say, well, God didn't answer my prayer. I don't know if I believe in him anymore. You know, the problem is, is that he didn't answer the prayer the way you wanted it to be answered. My guess is he did answer your prayer. He either said wait or no, and you were like, hmm, that's not the answer that you're supposed to give me, Lord. The answer is supposed to be yes. But he did answer our prayer, and then we allow our faith to wane in the midst of that. So maybe you're ready for this next step today, and it's to listen to the voice of the Lord in the middle of the difficult situation I'm experiencing. Are you ready for that today? Whatever difficulty you're going through, are you ready to listen to the voice of the Lord, speaking through his word, through prayer, through someone else? As we'll see in just a moment, Abraham obeyed the Lord The Lord not only told Abraham to listen to Sarah, he also reaffirmed his promise concerning Ishmael. The Lord promised to make Ishmael into a nation also. The reason the Lord gives is because Ishmael is Abraham's offspring. And you know, this again just goes back to the promises the Lord gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Here's what it says. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Ishmael's experiencing that. Third principle today is that God keeps his promises. We know that the Arab nations came from Ishmael's line. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham that Ishmael would become a nation of people. And the Lord comforted Abraham in the difficult task that lay before him. But Abraham was obedient as he accomplishes the task early the next morning. He doesn't waste time. And that leads us to the fourth principle, and that's that God is pleased when we obey him. And we really fleshed this out last week, and so we're not going to spend more time on that same principle today but it's still an important principle for us to embrace, that God is pleased when we obey him. But let's look at this third point. It's called drift. Verses 14 to 21, this is what God's word says. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. 
God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up. As he grew up, he lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. <clears throat> and so we see that Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. Abraham gives Hagar food and water. He does not give her cattle and flocks. He doesn't give her any servants. And there's a reason for that. Wolke points out that in the Lipit Ishtar Law Code uh, from 1875, a clause stipulates that if a slave bears children and the father then grants freedom to her and her children, the children of the slave shall not divide the estate with the children of their former master. So this is in keeping with the fact that Sarah states that Ishmael will not share in Isaac's inheritance. Abraham gives her the amount of food and water she is able to carry on her own. The skin would have held approximately three gallons of water, which is 24 pounds, and we're not told how much food she's carrying, but it's not going to be much. And after supplying her with food and water, Abraham sends her off with Ishmael. The Hebrew word for sent her off in the peel form again is another term that can mean divorce. See, this, this is like a permanent separation that's taking place here. Abraham's making a clean break with Hagar and Ishmael. He's setting them free. And at this point, Abraham has to trust the Lord to provide for Hagar and Ishmael. Abraham's hope and faith are based on the promise that the Lord had given him that Ishmael would also be a nation. He's like, they're going to survive. I don't know how God's going to provide for them because I'm only just giving them what they can carry in food and water. And Abraham could trust in the promise of God that his son would not die while wandering in the desert. And so Hagar wanders in the desert of Beersheba. You can see where that is here. It's kind of this area just south of Gerar. And the fact that they are wandering is evidence that she and Ishmael are all alone and do not have a place to live. They're probably moving from place to place but have not found a permanent location to call home. Just imagine for a moment being given just enough food and water to carry and then being sent away. Everything we've ever known and the security of a family unit are gone. We have to start all over again. If you remember, Hagar is from Egypt, so she's not even in her home country. Now she's just being set free. The emotions we would have uh, would just be devastating. And we see that. That's exactly what Hagar and Ishmael were experiencing. They're just sad. There's no water. In such wilderness, when your water is finished, you are finished, and so is your child. That's what Golden Gay says. Hagar recognizes that fact, which is why she does, not, uh, she does what she does with Ishmael. Perhaps Ishmael is just dehydrated. He, and it sapped his, his energy and his strength and his ability to walk. He's dying. And so Hagar can't bear to listen to Ishmael's cries of suffering. She separates herself from him, putting him under a desert bush for, a, for shade, and then a bow shot is approximately a half mile away, so she probably wouldn't be able to hear his cries, but she would still be able to see him. If she could provide food and water for him, she would. But Hagar is sobbing. She's doing this without hope. She's thinking that she and Ishmael are going to die. But she's forgotten that God was with her in the wilderness 16 years before. He had appeared to her by the spring that is beside the road to Shur, which is a little bit south of uh, the, the map I just showed you. God was going to be with her again. You see, God is with us even in our wanderings. That's our big idea. 
When we don't know what to do or where to turn, God is with us. When we feel like we are wandering through life's desert, God is with us. He'll take care of us. He'll provide for us. We can have hope in his presence with us. He promises to never leave us or to forsake us so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. It appears as though Hagar's sobbing is simply that. She's feeling sorry for herself and for Ishmael and just sits down and begins to cry. But it says here that God heard Ishmael crying. Perhaps Ishmael was crying out to God, asking him for help. Oh, God, help me. I don't want to die. I'm only 16. (laughs) I have my whole life ahead of me. As God hears Ishmael's cries, he responds to Hagar. He speaks to her from heaven. First, he asks her, what's going on? What's wrong? Then he encourages her not to be afraid. I have a plan to save you both. Hagar has to return to where she left Ishmael and help him to stand. Finally, God reveals that he will make Ishmael into a great nation. They're not going to die, but, they're rather, but rather they're going to thrive by God's grace. A fifth principle today is that God is concerned about the outcasts. And there are all kinds of outcasts in our society today. Those who have been alienated from their immediate family. Like your immediate family doesn't want anything to do with you. And you feel that. You feel like an outcast. Those who have been alienated from their extended family. Maybe it's you, just your family unit. You and your kids and the rest of the family are like, ah, we don't want you to come to Christmas. We don't want you to come to Thanksgiving. We don't want to be around you. Men and women who have experienced divorce or separation understand what it feels like to be an outcast. Husbands and wives who have lost their spouse to death know what it feels like to be an outcast. Children who have lost their parent or parents to death know what it feels like to be an outcast. Individuals who have been alienated from a friend group because of either negative or positive life changes know what it's like to be an outcast, right? You're hanging out with your Christian friends and you start pursuing some, uh, some addictive personality things. And your Christian friends are like, hey, you know, dude, if you don't make some changes, we can't hang out anymore. And then the same is true of the other one. You know, you're hanging out with all these guys, uh, guys or girls, and, uh, you know, that are addicted to the same things you're addicted to, and then the, the Spirit of God comes upon you in power, and he transforms your life. You turn your life over to him, and you start talking to your friends about Jesus, and they're like, hey, pff, no, we don't want anything to do with you anymore. So it could be both negative or positive where you feel that uh, alienation, where you feel like you're an outcast in your own friend group. I want you to know today that God is concerned about you. If you're feeling those feelings, he hears your cries for help. He knows you are feeling hopeless, anxious, depressed, and like there's nothing to live for. He's ready to send someone to help you stand, to support you through this difficult time. That's what God was telling Hagar to go do. Go back to your son Reach down and help him stand. God's ready to save you today. The second next step might be for you, and that's just to find hope in the truth that God is concerned about my situation and me. The Lord encouraged Hagar in her seemingly hopeless situation, and he provided a way of salvation. That's verses 19 to 21. God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well of water. She was able to refill the skin and give Ishmael a drink. It revived him. It's amazing that the solution to Hagar and Ishmael's plight was there the whole time. They were just blind to it. 
And how often is that true of us as well? The solution to our problem, to our situation, is already at hand, but we cannot see it. This happens because we're so consumed with the problem, right? It just consumes every waking moment. It consumes even our moments of sleep or no sleep or a series of naps. That's what I take at night. I don't really sleep. I take a series of naps at night. And when we step back and turn to the Lord for help, he gives us a new perspective on the situation. And we can see clearly what we need to do and how to handle the situation. The final principle today is this, that God provides for us. I don't know about you, but I'm always blessed when God provides the solution to my problems, when I seek his face. Our problems are not a surprise to God because he is all-knowing. He already has a plan prepared to help with and provide just what we need. We just need to turn to him and trust him. And so maybe this third next step is for you today, and that's to turn to the Lord and trust him to provide for me. My guess is that the cool drink of water helped to revive Ishmael and Hagar. <clears throat> Finally, we see the quick progression of Ishmael's life from teenager to adult in like two verses. God was with Ishmael as he grew up. This fulfilled the promise God had made to Abraham and Hagar concerning their son. He lived in the desert and became an archer. His mother obtained an Egyptian wife for him while he was living in the desert of Paran. And you can see where that desert is. It's the slower section. And God was with Ishmael in his wanderings. It appears as though he never stopped wandering in the desert. And yet God was with him even in his wanderings. And God is with us even in our wanderings. Aren't you glad? Aren't you grateful for that today? As we review a couple of questions in one statement, do you need to listen to the voice of the Lord in the middle of your difficult situation? I want to encourage you to find hope in the truth that God is concerned about you. And are you ready to turn to the Lord and trust him to provide for you? You know, as a body of believers, we experience difficulties too that require us to listen to the voice of the Lord, to find hope in the truth that he is concerned about us as a body of believers and to trust him to provide for us. As I think about this, I want to read this illustration about Dr. David Jeremiah. He wrote a book entitled A Bend in the Road that details his struggle with cancer that began in September of 1994 when he was diagnosed with, lymph with lymphoma. He describes the dark days of quote-unquote life's dis disruptions and reminds us that as the Israelites traveled long distances from their homes to Jerusalem to worship and celebrate the great feasts, they often sang to express their joy and faith in God. We don't see Abraham singing at any point in Scripture, but he certainly set the foundation for people of faith who want to handle life's disruptions and struggles with spiritual, struggles with spiritual courage. Abraham exemplified Jeremiah's emphasis on how to handle the burdens of life, including the conflict with Abimelech and the agony of sending Hagar and Ishmael into, a, into the desert. Jeremiah says, When the enemy closes in, we'll never defeat him using his own weapons. Instead, we load the weapons of our lips, our tongues, our hands, our wills with the most powerful gunpowder that has ever been discharged on earth, worship and praise. Jeremiah survived the first struggle, a physical struggle, but his cancer reappeared in the fall of 1998. During this time, he found great comfort in the book of Psalms. Whenever I have suffered, 
The Psalms have provided my medicine. When I have been wounded, they have bandaged me and have pointed me toward healing. I've drunk deeply of them, bathed in them, and let them wash over me until I felt the dust of the world cleansed away by the hope and peace of God's presence in the music of the Psalms. You know, when we're going through those difficult times, we need to do what David Jeremiah did, and that's worship and praise the Lord. We need to put our, our focus on who Jesus is, put our focus on God, and trust him to provide for us while we're going through what seems like a desert. And so I want to encourage you today that if you're wandering while you're wandering today, just turn to the Lord. Seek his face. He's going to provide just what you need right when you need it. He's going to take care of you. He already knows about your situation. And so just trust him. As the worship team comes to lead us in a closing song, would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, we come to you today. We worship you because you are a God who provides. You're the God who takes care of us. You help us, Lord, while we're wandering, while we're struggling. We thank you that we can trust you in the midst of it all. And Lord, we can say, um, as the closing song will remind us, it is well. Even when we go through those dark times, you are there with us. We thank you, Lord. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close?